Welcome to Origin Gates' daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Ray Hughes, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. And what a special day to be having an opportunity like this to talk to you guys all, all over the world. And, and today is St. Patrick's Day, where I'm at. And, um, you know, he is the world's most celebrated saint. Over 80 million people in more than 200 countries mark St. Patrick's Day. It's marked on March 17, uh, which is uh, in honor of the day that he died. And uh, so today the world is painted green, and uh, everybody's got wearing green, I hope, and you hope the rivers are running green, and the, everybody has green beer, and they have green parades and green costumes, and the, so the whole world tries to paint itself green on a day like this. And uh, in a beautiful way and yet a sad way, uh, the whole world has actually turned it into a way of celebrating all things Irish. And, uh, and I think Ireland certainly and the Irish people certainly need to be celebrated. And it's almost like there is a, a, a unity on this day that, to, that the whole world turns their eyes to Ireland. And, uh, and, in, and on some level, uh, not for all the right reasons, of course, but, you know, St. Patrick, is, is, um, he's, a, he's a unique and controversial individual as well. And, and sadly, the world of academia doesn't really always tell the whole story, if you will. But Ireland, is a, it's a land of countless portal tombs, you know, thought to be the final rest, resting places for saints and scholars and legendary warriors and poets and kings. You know, its history is steeped in legends and stories that are wrapped in truth and some un, uh, quite a few uncertainties as well because so much of Irish history is facts and fables and folklore and and you don't always know what which is which and what is what. Um, you never know if you're reading history or heresy when you study Ireland because there's so much of a storyteller's uh, uh, and it's it's in the wind there and it, and and legends abound but you know radiant green hills and all the ocean cliffs they're dotted with beehive huts and Celtic crosses and and they all stand there as stoic reminders of of this amazing past but and nobody uh, ever has stood. Uh, more center stage and dominated Ireland's his history more than Patrick, and he's played the uh, he's played the contradictory leading role in all of those fables and folklore, on, uh, and 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 no one has been cloaked with more of the fallacies than he has. Not only is he the greatest and most dominant of Ireland's three patron three patron saints, he's also the most celebrated Irish Catholic in the history, yet. He was not Irish, and he was not Catholic. He didn't become Catholic till he had been dead about 500 years. But he's a character of incredible contradiction. He, he, and, he, and one of the reasons, or, or some of the reasons, is, you know, he challenged the dark idolatry on that land, and he lighted the hills with this fiery truth that lived in his heart. And uh, he operated in signs and wonders. He he performed numerous miracles. I mean, real, uh, the kind of miracles that rivaled Old Testament heroes. 
he not only introduced Ireland to the power of the God of heaven, he introduced Ireland to the love of the God of heaven. And I believe that his his sacrificial obedience and the, and the pure love of God that he that he demonstrated to all those that hated him, the despisers, the you know all of the the dark, uh, demonic, pagans, and all that they were about. Remember now, Ireland is also the place where Halloween was born, and all of the the darkness that was around that is uh, called Samhain, of course, and uh, that's one of the darkest nights celebrated anywhere is born out of that uh, dark pagan ritualistic thing that happened there it all began in the in the hell caves in a place called Roscommon in Ireland and you know with all of that death that was there into a world like that came a young slave boy abducted uh, from from Britain now, we don't even really know where he's from. There's three places over there that claim that that's where he was abducted and taken into slavery. One is in Wales. They got the sign up there, and they, they celebrate him and honor him as being from there. Uh, there's also a place in Scotland that does the same thing. There's also a place in England that does the same thing. But the one in England is on, on the other side of the landmass, so that's very doubtful, and you don't hear that one as much as you do uh, the the conflict and the competition, if you will, in regards to where he came from, uh, whether it was Wales or or Scotland or Middle England, we don't know exactly where he came from, but we know that when he came, he came as a 16 year old slave boy, and when he got there, he he was uh, welcomed into the harshness of of uh, being a shepherd on a hillside. On the wind-swept hillsides, during the rain and the cold and the sleet and the snow, he lived alone there with, some believe that he was uh, taking care of the sheep as a shepherd. Some believe that he was actually there keeping hogs. But there's there's not a lot, uh, there's been much religious writings about him in, uh, in the Catholic Church, of course. But there's not a lot of historical documents that we have to draw from. There, there are a few though, and and when you when you look at his life, it's very different than than uh, what you would necessarily see being celebrated in the Catholic Church. You know, even his garb, and his, you see him with the the robe and the the mitre on his head, like a priest, and carrying the staff with all the gold and the pomp and circumstance. That would not have been Patrick at all. Um, as a matter of fact, that that kind of attire was not even uh, used until around the mid 1100s is when that when that even that appearance he, he would he would have been a guy, you know, dre- would have worn wool or or linen or he, he would have he would have looked more of biblical times you know uh, a commoner if you will in the bibl- in biblical times, and there's a. You can find some of the writings about his life in a in a, one of the one of the old uh, ancient writers. His name is M U R C H U, but it's it's spelled it's pronounced in Gaelic Willaku, and Willaku is uh, his writings are considered to be some of the more prolific and uh, and I guess more accurate than any any of the other writers. But when when uh, uh, it, uh, when Patrick was brought there and uh, under such harsh 
situations and circumstances. He was there as a slave for six years. But while he was there as a slave, he, that's where he really began to encounter God for the first time in his young life. And through the prayers uh, that started to become the language of his life. And it wasn't just about, a, a, you know, we all know and many times use the term uh, prayer language. But with him, it became a language of prayer. He would pray a hundred times a day. And one of his, see, there's only two writings that we have today to, to, until this day that were actually written by Patrick himself. And, uh, and one of them is the, is the Confessio. And, and listen to this. But the transformation of his life uh, was dramatic. When he was sent out there on that mountainside in the snow and the ice and the rain, he, he poured out his heart to God in desperation. And here's one of his writings, more and more. The love of God increased, and my sense of awe before God. Faith grew, and my spirit was moved, so that in one day I would pray up to 100 times, and at night, perhaps the same. So this was no you know, half-hearted religious duty, uh, liturgical kind of a thing. He was, he was passionately devoted to God. He fell in love with God in, out there. In, the, in that desert experience. And he was experiencing God's protection, his comfort. God became a father to him out there. And those are the years that shaped this amazing, vibrant, authentic man of God. Uh, and it shaped him into the Patrick that he would be for the rest of his life. And, and you know, maybe that's where his faith was it was born away from the, the influences of the theology and all the ecclesiology and eschatology and doctrines and all that. In other words, he was out there. He was not trapped in the, the arguments of the day around theology. Uh, he was out there in a straightforward encounter relationship living in the presence of God. And after six years, he heard a voice, and the voice told him, you know, your ship is ready. You can go now. And he, he wrote that in, in his confessio. He says, very soon you will return to your native country. Soon afterwards, another voice told him, your, vo your ship is ready. Wouldn't it be awesome in, the, in a, such a dark place to have such clear words from God? You know, Patrick's life was, uh, was set to change then. Listen to this. One night, he had a, a vivid dream. And in the dream, we can call it an angel or you can call it a man, whatever. But a man named Victorious, uh, Victoricus walked toward him carrying letters from Ireland. Now, this is after he's gone. He says, he, he gave me one of these in the dream. I read the beginning of the letter, and it was the voice of the Irish. While I was reading, I thought I heard at that moment the voice of those who were beside the wood of Vauclet, near the western sea. They called out, as it were, with one voice, We beg you, holy boy, to come and walk among us again. He said, This touched my heart so deeply, and I could not read any further in the dream. And so he, he woke up. He was so moved by this call back to the place that had been the place of his enslavement. 
I mean, you know, there could not have been any good memories of the place. But there was a presence that was so deeply ingrained into his spirit that he, he longed to go back simply because of the way he had experienced the presence of God there. And, you know, Patrick became one of the very first Christian leaders to, to speak out in condemnation of the slave trade also. He spoke of it as such a perpetration of such evil. His letter is one of the earliest examples of anti-slavery literature anywhere in existence. In Patrick's view, here, here's what he wrote. He said, They are savage wolves devouring the people of God as they would bread for food. Greedy wolves have devoured the flock of the Lord, which was flourishing in, in Ireland under the very best care. You know, because that slavery continued. That slavery went on. And he was describing Corotacus uh, as an evil-minded tyrant. He, he stood up. He, he, you know, he was, not only was he uh, like a protester protesting these things, he was also, uh, and not just an activist, but though you could say that he was, but he was a demonstrator. And, um, you know, protesters are, if you're going to have a protest, that's going to pretty much be, uh, problem focused. But if you're going to be a demonstrator, the only way you're going to change the world is, you, is to become the demonstrator that is demonstrating the power and the love and the awe and wonder of who God is. And that's really what I believe set him apart. It wasn't just about revolutions and rants and ravings of some sort. No, he demonstrated such love of God, power of God, signs, wonders, miracles. He raised people from the dead. He had encounters with druids. He, I mean, he was calling fire down. He was, he, was, uh, he was challenging everything that was demonic in the land. He was challenging everything that came against him. You, you know, I encourage everybody today to find, you know, just look it up, find a copy of St. Patrick's breastplate and read it. You know, he, he brought, he didn't just bring Christianity there as some, some expression of theology or, or a new uh, sect, if you will. It was, it was much deeper than that. He came there and fought the battle that was necessary, and he fought it with humility. He honored God, and he demonstrated the kindness of God. And when you, and when you read his view of himself, you'll see that he, he apologized for not being more educated. He apologized for not being like the others that were doing these great and grand things in great cathedrals. No, and when I say apologized, please understand how I'm saying that. He acknowledged that he, it was not in any way of his stature or greatness uh, that caused to happen what was there. But he was, he was a letter, and he even spoke of himself as a, as a saving letter of Christ, even to the ends of the earth, because at that time Ireland and the north of Scotland was actually considered to be the ends of the earth and the ends of the landmass. And as he came to the end of his life, he believed the letter had been written on the hearts of the Irish people and that he was that letter. He was that a, a living epistle. Although it is not well expressed, still this letter is genuinely and strongly written in your hearts. And he said, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. And I just speak that over your life and mine. Uh, may our lives be written not with ink, 
but with the Spirit of the living God. And um, I pray the goodness of the Lord on you on this beautiful St. Patrick's Day, wherever you are. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.